Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and this week's episode is all about hunting something other than whitetails, and why that's a good thing for all you deer hunters out there. I know, I know. It's too expensive. It's too far. You don't have the time, the PTO. You don't have any good buddies who will make a drive with you, and on and on. That's not for everyone to travel to the West and hunt. But the good thing is, that's not what this episode is about. It's just about hunting other stuff, period. Not just the glamour critters that demand kind of a big commitment. There's a world of hunting opportunities out there, and you should take advantage of them. You know, they're fun in their own right, and just about everyone will probably make you a little bit better of a deer hunter, which is what I'm going to tell you about right now. Last summer, I dropped a whole bunch of these Foundations episodes that were all based on scouting. You know, from e-scouting to trail cameras to boots on the ground, I covered it all. I know you're already thinking about getting back into the deer scouting thing, and you should be, but let me lay out a case for you on that front. Now, dedicated deer time is important. There's, there's really no substitute for it. There really isn't. But dedicated deer time takes, well, dedication. And I don't know, time? Not everyone has tons of both. And not everyone wants to put in what it takes to nearly, nearly guarantee success. And that's okay. There's a sneaky way to put in some deer time and level up your game. And honestly, just make your time outdoors more fun. Gotta hunt something else. Now, earlier this spring, I dropped a couple of episodes on how turkey hunting can make you a better deer hunter. And I firmly believe that. But I also firmly believe that you can become a better deer hunter by spending time in a duck blind. Or hunting squirrels with a 17 or a 22. Or by going bear hunting. Or yes, taking that trip out west to finally chase screaming bulls through the mountains while honking nonstop on a hoochie mama call. Now this is going to seem like a stretch to a lot of people, but let me give you a few examples about how hunting other critters can help you actually become a better deer hunter. But before that, let me say this. Deer hunting success doesn't come from where a lot of people think it does. Sure, 
it comes from a good spot if you're lucky enough to have that advantage. And at any given moment throughout the season, it could come from something you bought. A call, a decoy, a bottle of dope hiss. At any moment, any one of those things could put a buck in your lap, even if mostly they won't. And any good encounter teaches you a lot. So I'm not minimizing that stuff. Use it. I don't really care. But to be better overall, you've got to learn to think about why a deer would or wouldn't do something. Why is that buck on your kill plot only once every three days? Why do you always see does and scrappers on some trails, but never mature bucks? Why, on October 16th during a heat wave, did you see the biggest buck of the season in a spot where you would have been real happy to just see a doe? The answer to those questions and many more might be discoverable, or they might not. But the more you start to ask yourself why, the more you can start narrowing down your potential answers. This is a super valuable skill that some of the best public land bow hunters work real hard to sharpen. They do this through whitetail activities, of course, but also through experience hunting all the other critters that are available. And one of these moments smacked me real hard in the face a few years ago as I was scouting out a spot in the mountains for the Colorado elk opener. Like it is in many mountain ranges, there were stair-step meadows in the lower valleys surrounded by benched-out black timber. As I walked those meadow edges trying to figure out what sign was left by cattle and what was left by elk, I started noticing rubs on the edges of some of the meadows. They were facing toward the meadow, which I assume meant that the elk were feeding in the lush grass all night and then working their way up the mountains in the morning. That's pretty simple elk behavior and became even clearer when I started walking a rough elk rub line that brought me right to a dreamy bench up there in that black timber. Big ovals of matted vegetation showed that some bulls had been using the bench for bedding. Does that sound familiar to all you bluff country whitetail hunters? Or maybe some of you mountain hunters out east, southeast somewhere? My question of why are the rubs on the edge of the meadow, or what does that really mean, ended with a pretty clear picture of a food-to-bed, bed-to-food pattern. If I hadn't lost my shit on that trip and shot poorly, it would have also ended with me taking grip and grins on opening night. But that's a different story. Uh, Let me give you another example. In 2010, when I was just starting to focus super hard on killing public land whitetails, I had an any deer North Dakota tag in my pocket, which was good for mule deer or whitetails. Now, I had some big whitetails patterned pretty well, but I also had a half a day to kill before they'd be in play, so I went looking for mule deer. And the one I found, a beautiful velvet 150 class type buck, did what I see very few mule deer do in the Badlands. He bedded in a real stockable spot. So I took the long way around to keep the wind in my favor, and I hiked toward a series of pine trees I'd marked so I could re-find him. Now, if you've never spotted and stalked any critters, I suggest you give it a shot for this simple reason. That moment when you see them and you make your plan, it's almost always followed by the execution, which almost always takes your target animal out of your visibility. There's such an intense kind of anxious feeling that comes with that because you simply don't know what he's going to do as you try to work your way in. Well, I had that feeling, that kind of nervous feeling as I side-hilled my way across the arid landscape as the lunchtime sun really started baking. And when I got to my landmark, I took off my boots and I started crawling. When peeking over that ridge, I saw the velvet tips of his antlers. He was oblivious, 
well within my range and positioned for a very nice shot angle. I had all the time in the world to make that shot. And you know what I did? I freaking rushed it like a total moron and I shot some hair off his back. I mean, I don't know, I probably had hours to take that shot. And I rushed it so fast that as I watched that big five by five bound off, my first thought was to just swan dive off the nearest cliff. Later that evening, I'd switched to whitetails and I watched as a 140 inch eight pointer crossed the river toward me. The thought that was going through my mind was, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Do not rush it, Antoine. Let him get here. Please let him get here. Now, I'm not going to tell you I made a perfect shot on that buck because I didn't. It was a much better shot than I made on the mule deer. And my follow-up shot to just end it all was one of the best I've ever made in my life. Now, you don't think of mule deer as great teachers for whitetail hunting. But there are so many things we do on other hunts that do teach us how to be better on whitetails. Because they teach us how to be better hunters. Period. There's more, though. There's a little moments, too, that help you fill up the whitetail knowledge box. Maybe four or five years ago, I was following my lab around in October in north-central Wisconsin. We were on the hunt for a few grouse or woodcock on a piece of public land that I'm quite fond of for bird hunting. Now, I honestly don't remember if we found any birds, even though we probably did. But what I do remember is finding a patch of really thick brush on a hillside and a ridge top that was covered in rubs. And I mean covered in rubs. Two weeks later, I came back with a mobile setup and started bow hunting around that concentration of rubs. The deer didn't make it easy, but I did manage to see some little bucks chasing, and I arrowed one of the cagiest does I've ever put in the freezer. It was honestly a pretty great hunt, especially for public land. And the genesis for most of it was just a chance encounter while looking for some woodcock. Uh, last one before I move on. I got to tell you one more. When I was in college, I was far enough away from the ground I usually whitetail hunted that I focused on public land and just knocking on doors. I also trout fished so much, it took me an extra year to get enough credits to graduate. Well, that's my excuse anyway. There were a lot of other reasons I didn't fly through higher education in a normal time frame. Uh, anyway, on one of the streams I fished a lot, I'd always take note of all of the crossings. In that bluff country, the terrain and the water, they often conspire to create perfect pinch points. And that property was no exception. It finally got to me, so I just knocked on the door one day after fishing and asked if they'd mind if I'd hunt their place a little bit. And the woman who answered the door could not have been nicer. And she said yes. So I scrambled back to my place, swapped my fishing clothes for camo, and brought a stand out with me. I hung it over the best-looking crossing, and I settled in. And when a doe came down to drink later that night, I drew, settled in, and I made a good shot. And it was revelatory on a few levels. At that, at that time in my life, arrowing any deer was a big, big deal, let alone making a really good shot on one. And I eventually killed a few deer on that property, but I had a hell of a lot of fun hunting it. And it mostly resulted from trout fishing trips that took me to the places where deer also like to live. That stuff happens to me a lot because I like hunting a lot of different critters and I like fishing in cool places. The question I have now is, do you? Are you a ride or die whitetail hunter or more of an outdoor generalist? I don't really care if you answer yes to either of those questions because it doesn't matter. Whether you only live and breathe whitetails or are happy to be out chasing whatever's available, you might want to think about all the opportunities that are actually available to you or not only what they offer in and of themselves, but how they can help you become a better deer hunter. Let's take that big Western trip, for example. 
the scouting, the planning, the gear organizing, anticipating all the things that can go wrong and dreaming about the things that will go right. It's all going to make you a better whitetail hunter. It's going to make you want to travel more for your deer adventures too, which is a surefire way to have some fun and just force yourself to improve at this stuff. Maybe, like I said earlier, you don't have the means to make a Western trip happen. Fair enough. It's not available for everyone. I get that. But you got to look closer to home then. What could you do this fall that you used to do or are just curious about? Is that sitting on the edge of a small beaver pond waiting on a few wood ducks or teal to swing through? Oh, maybe it's just a simple rabbit or squirrel hunt. Maybe it's a fall turkey hunt to fill the midday hours in between stand time. It honestly doesn't matter. That small water duck hunt, you're going to have to scout for it, most likely. You might find that you want to sit on a little cattail point, but for whatever reason, the birds seem to want to swoop in low and land in the other corner of the pond. Is it because they just do that or because of the wind direction? Is it because the bottom contour is more gradual and there are a bunch of soggy acorns in that corner? It's time to ask why and then see what you can do about finding the answer. The squirrels, are they concentrated on hard mast? If so, you know who else probably is? Or, I don't know, the bunnies living in that old homestead that is overgrown and super gnarly and full of thorns? Do they share that security cover with anyone else? Get in there and find out. Now, this might be weird timing for this, you know, given the fact that it's early summer and all of our hunting is at least a couple of months off, but the time to plan is now. The time to scout, even for non-deer-related hunts, it's starting right now. Hell, you might just need those months to source out a couple of, uh, I don't know, boxes of ammo so you don't have to throw rocks at rabbits or grouse this fall. And that's a joke, sort of. Obviously, if you have the option to go west or travel for whitetails, you should also be planning that right now. And if so, good for you. You're going to have fun. You're going to get better at hunting. Two worthy outcomes of any trip. If you're not sitting on an elk tag or researching how to get an over-the-counter mule deer tag or antelope tag, don't fret. Most hunters aren't. But most whitetail hunters aren't also going out to hunt a bunch of other critters. Most whitetail hunters, also not entirely not coincidentally, never get a whole lot better at this stuff. They do the same things from year to year to year to year, and they experience, not surprisingly, very similar year-to-year results. For a lot of people, that's good enough, and I'm not shitting on that. I'm really not. I don't care if people want to put in zero work to fill their tags, or if they obsess over it every day and devote tons of time and resources to it. I do care that the people listening to this podcast and reading our articles and watching our videos figure out how to have fun out there in the woods and find as much meaning and enjoyment out of this whitetail challenge as they can. And there are a lot of ways to achieve that. And one of them is to open up your aperture so you can see a few more opportunities. And this is also a great way to get yourself to look at more ground, which might be the best thing a deer hunter can do. We really limit ourselves to spots. And I get it. It's easy. It's familiar. It's just kind of in our nature. You probably don't want to burn through your favorite deer ground in late September trying to flush some woodcock, which makes a lot of sense. In the hierarchy of importance, whitetails usually hold the top spot, and some little worm-eating migrators tend to fall pretty low on the list. But they also land on public dirt to poke their long beaks into the soil and attempts to find some slimy breakfast. Maybe you don't have to burn your best deer spots to have a little fun wing shooting with your pup. Or, you know, trying to shoot a couple of squirrels to try out one of Steve's recipes. Maybe 
getting away from the ground you've set up for whitetails and what you think you know so well to wander some unfamiliar properties is just what you need to start answering some of the questions you have about the whitetails that you do think you know so well. Maybe on your deer spot, you never go into the swamp because why would you? It's wet, full of mosquitoes, and there's no way to set a stand in there. But the swamp edge on the public land down the road might be perfect to find a few woodcock or grouse. And when you go there and you walk around without caring if you spook any deer, you might learn a thing or two about deer. And I can promise you, I go into a lot of swamps and sloughs looking for critters that are not deer, and I almost inevitably learn something about deer. So really, that's... You know, that's kind of my case for this. Hunt some other stuff, my friends. Big stuff, little stuff, stuff you got to travel for, stuff that's available close to home. Have some fun out there in the woods doing non-deer hunting hunts. See some new ground. Do something different. If you do and you pay attention, I almost guarantee that you'll find something that makes you a little better at figuring out whitetails. And if not, I don't know, you can always buy a new call or a new decoy or the, I don't know, new bottle of the freshest dopey on the market and see what happens. That's it for this week, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I know you want more whitetail content, so feel free to head on over to our YouTube channel to check out our latest videos and visit themeateater.com slash wired. Again, that's themeateater.com slash wired to read our latest articles. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.